A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, he was Turtle on Entourage. Now he's on the Stars Network show Power, and he's got his own podcast, Bad for Business. He's talking all about it right here on Talk is Jericho. I'm talking about Jerry Ferrara, very, very cool guy. He's going to give you the inside story on how he landed the Entourage part, all about the big-budget Entourage movie, which is super, super great. Just watched it on demand yesterday. What his character's name should have been, other than Turtle. He's got stories about Kevin Dillon, Ronda Rousey, having her as his girlfriend in the movie, moving to LA with nothing in order to pursue acting, getting booed at the Nassau Coliseum when he co-hosted Monday Night Raw with the Entourage cast, and how dropping 50 pounds in between seasons of Entourage changed things for him. The uh, director did not want him to lose weight. All the stories from Jerry coming up here on Talk is Jericho. We even do a mafia fantasy draft, and you'll find out if Jerry loves sneakers in real life as much as Turtle did on Entourage. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Okay, we're in the uh, illustrious Beverly Hills Hilton with uh, Jerry Ferrara. And this is funny because it's the first time we've ever met uh, one-on-one in a hotel. Uh, yeah, it's kind of yeah. We basically had like a blind podcast date in a hotel. Yeah, which is funny. Meeting. Like I said, how Hollywood is that? Like, I love it. You want to you want the role kid? Come meet me in the hotel, right? <laughs> We're going straight like seventies casting. I love totally. It. And you go downstairs. This 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 is a total seventies hotel too, with all the posters on the wall. There's like Sinatra. There's Rat Pack. I mean, this is a pretty uh, a pretty long like old school Hollywood institution here. Yeah, there's like uh, I got caught up with the history of Hollywood, not so much like uh, the showbiz parts, but like the actual locations. And uh, mm. this place, actually, this hotel is where like the Golden Globe party always is every year. OK, so uh, fortunate enough that Entourage has been nominated a few times. So I've stumbled out of this hotel room, <laughs> uh, usually in January with a loss because we lost every single year. How many times were you nominated? Oh, for seven. That's great. It just, I mean, to the point where it's like, give us a mercy win. I'll never come back. You never have to see me again. It's like Susan Lucci uh, for all my children. It was like 19 years in a row or something like that. You guys had seven nominations, though? Seven Globes, six Emmys, a combined 0 for 13. <laughs> uh, Do you know, have you ever heard of the band called Mastodon? 
No, I have a heavy metal band, and uh, the drummer is a, a, cool, a good friend of mine, and he has a shirt that says three-time Grammy Award losers." <laughs> you need to make that third, uh, seven-time Golden Gold Dude, losers. You know what? It really is cool to be nominated just to go to the party, but when you're there, if you have any ounce of competitiveness, which I know obviously you have, sure. If of you course. have any ounce of that, yeah. you get there, you want to friggin' win. Yeah. You see people start to go up there, make the speeches, thank their moms, grab the statue, like it just clicks. You're like, oh my god, I want to win so bad At, before that night before i'm like let's just go have fun right you get there the competitiveness clicks in and you want to win especially when it's six times and emmys too yeah the first few we were really just like i can't believe we're here but by the fourth or fifth one like really ugly betty's gonna beat us again <laughs> again three years in a row you couldn't find one for us in there and there's no and there ain't no ugly betty movie no I'll tell you no, that there certainly was and there's not. always there's always those shows that are like that that are kind of the critics darlings that mm-hmm. win and meanwhile a show like entourage like that's a that's a cool show like that's for like the rockers like like that's a cool ass show yeah should have won and in the beginning, like uh, first two, three seasons, like it was kind of uh, underground. Not it wasn't widespread. Like we had a lot good fandom, but like it wasn't a household name. So mm-hmm. you were like cool if you watched Entourage because not that many people knew about it. This was before DVR and Amazon and Netflix and all that. It just blew up where yeah. you had to like watch it when it aired. Um, but then when we started to become a little more mainstream, that's where it was like, oh, that show sucks now. Yeah. Like anything else with music too. Always the way, right? Your songs on the radio, your band sucks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was like that with Metallica. They yeah. were my band until they became popular and you suddenly hate them. Same here. When you when you were up for, for the Golden Globes and the Emmys, what was the nomination that you were up for? Uh, best Comedy, which uh, obviously was, you know. Wow. And um, I, I can actually remember each and every year that we lost. So we lost uh, seven, 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 six, and then Kevin Dillon, who played drama, received like three Globe and two Emmy noms. Supporting Ofer, nomination. Supporting. Kevin Connolly played E. He got a lead actor in a comedy, Lost. And Jeremy Piven, the only one who carried us with the awards, he won three straight Emmys. Okay. For supporting. He actually beat Dylan those three years in a row. So, oh, so they were up against each other. They were up against each other. We always worried they were going to share votes because it was the same <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. But Jeremy uh, deservingly won There must have been some straight. ball busting going on there. Oh, for sure. You 100%. Know, like, I got you again, Dylan. 100%. And uh, I always say one of those should have been Dylan's, but as long as it was... Jeremy, who won in his place, we were cool with it. So, how does that work? You mentioned votes. Like, who's voting on that? You guys? No, there's oh. uh, there's a, you know, like with the Oscars, it's the Academy, mm-hmm. and with uh, the Golden Globes, it's the Hollywood Foreign Press, and with the Emmys, I think it's called like the Television Sciences. I don't even know if science and television were one thing, but <laughs> there's guess. these large panels, there's electronics involved, and so. you know, you get to know these people over the years. Like with the Hollywood Foreign Press, we would do a press conference every year in this hotel. Um, and then like, I remember one of the Hollywood foreign press members came up to me year. This is a few years after Entourage ended. I was like, you know, season three, blah, you guys lost by one vote. I was like, don't tell uh, me that They now. tell you that too? 10 years ago. Like, leave it alone. Don't tell. <laughs> no, they're not supposed to. Oh, okay. Don't tell me we lost by one vote. That's the worst. The worst. It's like watching your favorite team lose in overtime. I'd rather lose by 30. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. Can't take the heartbreak. Rather, yeah, <laughs> so when you're talking about the, you know, the, the ball busting, all that stuff, because the show Entourage, I mean, the crux of it and why it works is, is, is the relationship of the guys. But I would assume after doing this for... Eight seasons? Yeah, eight seasons. And then the movie. Then the I mean, movie. you guys pretty much, in a lot of ways, grew up together. 
you are those guys, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I was 23 years old when I got cast in the pilot. I'm now 35, a month away from being 36. So, you know, but it's something that we had right away. And I, I've said this before, like, you, you can't account for chemistry. I don't think mm. in sports or in... Or in You're movies right. or TV, like sometimes you don't get along off camera, but on camera you just have this magic. Sometimes you get along off camera, and then on screen there's nothing. You can't cast it. You can't account for it. It either happens or it doesn't. I think it's what takes a show that's good and makes it great. You know, it's like that next level, and right. it's the lightning in the bottle. And luckily we had it from day one. You know, those guys, and we all grew up in New York, so we had that in common early. Okay. And, um, was yeah, that a prerequisite for, for sort the of, sort of, yeah. A Doug Allen who created the show, who was a New Yorker himself, you know, because it was loosely based on Wahlberg. He wanted the Boston angle. Doug came in and said, "Look, I only know New York, and I could write New Yorkers." So it's it has pretty to close, be. though. It's very, you know, close. fairly close there. But I mean, the ball busting, instant, instant. Yeah. <laughs> Guys like Kevin, Kevin Dillon, and Kevin Connolly. Boy, Adrian had to get a little used to it. Like he played Vince. Yeah. He, he didn't. He's an only child. Never had brothers. He grew up more in like the Manhattan. We were like borough kids. So gotcha. he was a little offended at first, but then he ended up being one of the all-time great ball busters toward the end. <laughs> we had a drummer once in Fozzie for a short time. You know, the mom jokes, that's that's the crux of any group of guys. And sure. he was like, don't you make fun of my mom. And it's like, dude, you can't be in a band and not tell mom jokes. You no. can't. And the worst, but, but if someone else was to t- say a mom joke outside of your band, oh, then they got to fight a whole band. That's and right. And I'm sure fight that wouldn't go <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you mentioned this, and I know kind of the, the story, but it was based on, on, on Mark Wahlberg's mm-hmm. uh, ascension into Hollywood. Yep. So was there actually a guy that was a turtle? Was his name Turtle? Was it a turtle type of guy? Or? Uh, there, there was a, definitely a Johnny Drama who was mm-hmm. still around. Uh, who is still in amazing shape, and he—I mean—he still has abs. I think, and he calls him the Hollywood Squares. He'll lift up his shirt and show you the Hollywood Squares. <laughs> and he's still one of Wahlberg's like still uh, entourage assistants, whatever. Maybe. I believe he was the one who might have started or helped start Mark into acting. That's how far oh, back they go. Okay, so these are buddies Law, from the I mean, old neighborhood. Deep, deep ties. Um, the E character is split. There is a real E. Uh, who has absolutely worked with Mark for t- almost 30 years. Um, and there's a few mixed in. Like my my character, there was a donkey, not a turtle. His name was Donkey. <laughs> of course, okay. But over the years, I've met five other of Mark's friends who have said they're the inspiration for my character. Yeah, everyone's and coming out of the woodwork now, of right? Of course. Yeah. And uh, of course, if you look at Adrian who played Vince, there are some differences from him to Mark. So it, it definitely evolved over the years, but we all came from somewhere. And um, then Doug Allen started sprinkling in like his childhood friends into all of us. So uh, it was definitely a chemistry experiment. So it was originally, uh, was it sold or was it just a pilot and you had to wait and get it picked up? Pilot and you had to wait to see, you know, uh, the casting process is one of the most grueling processes. Well, tell us how that worked. Because you, like, you had, had you acted a little bit before that? Yeah, I, okay. I, had, I had moved here when I was 20 years old. Um, I had taken some acting classes and theater classes in college, but fell in love right away after I realized I would not be any form of a professional athlete. <laughs> That's what... Uh, and where in New York were you from? Brooklyn, okay, originally. Brooklyn so I had been here for two or three years, and I kind of had this routine. I was working stereotypically as a waiter in a restaurant and I would say get 
I did three episodes of King of Queens, a sitcom nice, from back okay. in the day, and right. I would make, you know, five grand. So I'd walk into the restaurant, I'd curse everyone out, I'd quit my job, I'd work on the show, I'd collect my five grand thinking, all right, now I got momentum. And I go six months without working, the money goes away, and I have to go beg for my job back. <laughs> so that was kind of my thing. I always worked, but the Entourage obviously was the biggest opportunity in my lifetime, and but it was like any other thing. I got called in for an audition. I went in. I, I read. They brought me back. And then they brought me back and matched me up with other guys. And then they did that two or three times. Now at this point, I know all the producers. I know I, I like it's like a weekly thing. Mm-hmm. I just go in once a week. But it all leads to, you know, like the producers finally kind of approve you, Doug and Mark. Then the final test is the network. You have to go test in front of HBO. Right. And... um that's done in like a mini little theater where the lighting, like you can't see the faces in the crowd. There's probably about eight to 10 people in the crowd. They're trained like not to laugh no matter how funny. That's the worst too. Yeah, yeah. No matter how funny you are. And also the waiting room, they basically bring, it's very much like in Entourage when Johnny Drama, when you see him audition, there's two or three guys were there for each character. So it's like, here are the turtles. I could look across the room and I see the Vinces. <laughs> yeah. I see the Eric's. And of course, only one Johnny drama was Kevin Dillon. Kevin Dillon at one point got up in the lobby in the waiting room and was like, who else is uh, here for Johnny drama? And I think it might have been Kevin Connolly. And we didn't know each other. Screamed out, no one. You got it, bro. And he's like, oh, well, I would have left if I knew that. Because he was like, that's him, basically. And he's Matt Dillon's little brother who never really quite made it. He always right. had, like, he, I remember he was the lead in The Blob. The Blob, was yeah. maybe Platoon or something like this. Platoon, or The Doors. Right. He played Densmore in The Doors. That's right, the drummer in The Doors, yeah. And, um, but no one really knew Kevin Dillon as far as comedy. Like, you could look at Platoon when he yeah. smashes the guy's face in with a rifle and the doors where they're doing shrooms and Joshua Tree, you know, but comedy and Kevin Dillon weren't known. So this was his first moment. And and Doug Allen always says, the minute Kevin Dillon walked in and opened his mouth, done. He like, had I it. got 10 years with this guy. Right I got away. it done. Right. Perfect guy. So, he is that guy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, right. um, or at least knows who that guy is. Good call. Perfect. And um, right. so when you're in this test, now they're really mixing and matching all of you and then they start sending people home you could see they're like all right you you can go so at one point it was finally left and it was me Connolly, and dylan and there was someone else for uh the vince role because adrian wasn't in la but three out of four we were standing on stage we read a scene and then we we're like all right you guys can go and we walked out we were the last four and i was like well i think that's a good thing right yeah and luckily, they called us like an hour later because then they could still make you wait for two days. And what a mind a mind it's screw awful. that is, you know? It's Just it's mental warfare. Yeah, man. it's it's awful. By the time you finally get it, you're like, it's more of like a, a depressed relief than anything. Like, Ugh, thank God it's over. Right. Oh, but then actually, the your point and question. That's the first stage of war. Then you get to shoot the pilot and you get oh, paid right. well. You get paid a nice chunk of money, but you're not like retiring. And then I think it was like seven months in between when we shot the pilot till finding out they're picking us up to series. That long. And I'm caught in that in between because I did make a good chunk of money, but I'm like, well, it's starting to run out again. Do I go work in the restaurant knowing I could be on a hit TV show at any moment. So it was like up to the final moment. And one day Wahlberg called me. I didn't even know he had my number. Oh, and I wow. answer. I'm like, hello. He's like, yo, it's Mark. We got picked up. Congrats. We start shooting, blah, blah, blah. Click. I'm like, uh, 
I hope that was real. Because <laughs> for him, this is just another project. If it doesn't work out, he'll go on to do whatever movie he's doing, right? Yeah, for but, sure. He's a, yeah, he's a movie star. But, but this was his first producing got job. It. So it's a passion project for yeah. him, too. Yeah, he's gone on to produce 30 things since then. But this was his first. This was kind of his baby. So when you guys started doing this show, because, I mean, it's such a great show because, you know, as, as uh, you know, a guy kind of in the business, like there's so many cool things going yeah. on behind the scenes. You're seeing what Hollywood is really like. And for people that know nothing about Hollywood, it's pulling back the curtain. How, how was it uh, for you actually being out here? Was it fairly similar to what's going on? Now looking back on it, I could say absolutely. At the time, you know, I still was young and didn't really know. And I, I, I was very, when I say sheltered, like I was living in the valley, I wasn't like in the scene of Hollywood because I also didn't want to be because I didn't want to screw up. Mm-hmm. So even when I I got Entourage, even more so I kind of hid because I, I just didn't want to blow it. I was always worried I was going to get caught up, go out, maybe have one too many drinks, do something stupid, and they're going to fire me. Mm-hmm. I was always so afraid it was going to get taken away from me. But... I got to live through the show in a lot of ways. Like I, I discovered all like the cool places in, in LA through the show. I learned about all these restaurants and clubs and hotels. Like we were talking about, we've shot so many things in this hotel. Like I can't even begin to tell you. Like the there Hilton. was like a bar mitzvah episode where <laughs> drama and, and turtle are stoned and just looking for food that was shot here. Like I didn't even know where the, the Hilton was in Beverly Hills. So and now you know. It was like my Zagat survey, my Zagat <laughs> right. guide. Because you also had like the Chateau Marmont, there was stuff there, and you know the Roosevelt and all the cool kind of Hollywood places yeah. you guys were there. And then not to mention this, were you were you single at the time, or did you have a girlfriend? Or what? early season one, I was, and that also Just was where it's like don't chicks screw everywhere, up. everywhere. I mean, that's part of the show is the hot girls. I mean, if I even like think back to the pilot when we were like shooting, and it was we had like this indoor pool in the pilot and I, I just had never been on a set where it was like the four of us and these four girls and we're supposed to have like this two day long party. So it very much, uh, we had like, it, we called it like the franchise tag. Like if we saw a girl, like, like franchise like that, like, oh, you I, want like, a repeat like Adrian, stay away from her. <laughs> like, don't go talk to her with your blue eyes. It's my franchise. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I did get a girlfriend around season three for a few years. I, I I probably was the most domesticated mm-hmm. of the bunch early on. And then, I, you know, Kevin Dillon ended up getting married and Connolly as a girl now. We all kind of also decided not to shit where we eat ah, sort of thing, which right. is very responsible thinking. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, like I said, you are, you know, this isn't just a role. You're, you're getting a part where all of this stuff, you're living the Hollywood high life through this TV show. Yeah, and it really was a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways because we had so much fun and we did pull back the curtain. But then also, because perception is reality, unfortunately, a lot of the time, not even talking about like typecasting. I'm talking about just stereotypes. Like people then kind of assume, oh, like you're the guy who loves to go out and smokes weed and chases girls. It's like, man, if you only knew... It's just the part. Get over it. It's, I always say when people sometimes will come up to me and go, oh, you know, you're, you're such a nice guy. We thought you'd be a jerk when I'm like the bad guy right. in wrestling. I say, you know, Anthony Hopkins doesn't walk down the street in a straitjacket <laughs> eating people's livers with a fine county. It's just the part he plays. You realize that. That's right? a great way to put I'm sure that <laughs> ends know? a lot of the conversation. It happens all the time. Yeah, because people go like, I, I can't. Well, you're not, you don't really like to go party or turtles. Like, no. Nah. Do you ever play along with people, though? It depends. I mean, I'm pretty cool. Right. Most people are, are, are nice. You know, a lot of times, you probably f- found this out, sometimes people don't have manners or just rude or nervous. Yes. You have to give them a little bit of an extra rope. Agreed. 
but then when they're just completely rude, then I'll just turn total asshole. That's how I always base it. Like if a person's, like you said, nervous or cool, you give them that rope and then like I'll play along with it. And, uh, but yeah, if you, if you're going to be an idiot, I'm just not going to talk to you. Yes. I'm just going to turn and walk away, you know, not because I think I'm too cool, but like I treat people how they treat me. Yeah. And the thing is too, like, and, and, and once again, some of the lines you get, like, are you who I think you are? That's bad too. Cause like, how do you answer that? Like, yes. You go, I am, I am exactly who I'm you famous. think I am. Yes, yes, I am. Or, you know, listen, I don't know who you are, but my kid loves you. Can you sign this for me? It's like, I messed around with someone and I thought it was all in good fun. And the dude actually took it personally and like wanted happened? to fight me because I had lost a bunch of weight like in between yeah, seasons one did, year. Man. So I started to get a lot of, you look just like, <laughs> and I would joke around like, I oh, yeah, the, you, the fat guy, right? Yeah, I know. Everyone says I'm like the skinnier version of him. And this one guy in the bar one night, in Ohio, I was with my girlfriend who's from Ohio. We were watching the game in the bar. And, like, I was just – I thought for sure he knew I was messing with him. So I just kept it going all night. I'm like, dude, stop. I'm not that guy. That guy is such a douche. Like, he's a – like – Yeah. So he finally finds out after an hour and a half that I was joking with him and lying. And he was so offended and literally want – like, basically was like, you want to step outside? I'm like, dude, I'm not going to fight you, man. Like – yeah. I thought you would have thought it was like a funny story, but he he took a well, lot of offense. Because once you get that, it's like you're not who I think you are. You're not you're not turtle. Or yes, I am. No, you're not. It's like, yeah, you okay, got I'm me. Not. You got yes, me. Yes, you are. Yeah. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, hey, amigas. See, already learning. Ha ha. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Let's get back to Jerry Ferrara from Entourage. We're talking about you dropping a lot of weight a few years ago, Jerry. I mean, you lost 50, 50 pounds. Yeah, I've put, I've put like 10 or 15 back because I try to lift a little bit. But for me, that's like it was so hard to put on like 10 pounds. I got to a point where I couldn't put weight back on, ironically. But I mean, this looks like your natural weight right now. You're slim and trim. I can't, I'm trying to imagine you 50 pounds heavier. And if you watch it, that is my entourage, natural weight. Wow. <laughs> 50 pounds heavier is my natural weight. So so basically, you're getting cast as Turtle, kind of the, 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 the chubby guy. Yeah. And then over one season, you said you lost all this weight? Uh, yeah, I lost like... 15 or 20 in between one of the seasons and like I, I I put five back on off but then 
I want to say it was like between season seven and the final season because we did have the luxury of knowing when the show was going to end. Like mm. in season six, they basically were like, you guys got two more years gotcha. and then you're going to ride off into this whatever sunset. So I looked at it like, okay, I, I got to start. I got to get to work to now try to change things after this because I have no idea what life's going to be like after this. And also, I just was unhealthy, Chris. Like mm-hmm. 205 pounds, I'm five foot seven barely no muscle whatsoever smoked cigarettes at the time and i i played sports all throughout high school i played football basketball i boxed so i didn't even know how it got to this point and um yeah now that i think about it it was actually a pretty dumb thing to do to shoot one season where i was about like 185 and then come back a year later but on the show it was only supposed to be two weeks later and i was like 145 Now I think about it, I'm like, God, that that was pretty dumb to do. Did, did the producers give you any, like, hey, man, Turtle's supposed to yeah. be a fat guy? Doug Allen, who ended up, he, he also wrote, produced, and directed the movie, uh, was like, would you gain weight back for the movie, you know? It was kind of like a nod back to the series. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to charge you like $100,000 a pound. <laughs> because I cannot go back down. Like, it, it was a really... You're not going to pull a De Niro raging bull no. and gain all the weight, right? Yeah. No, but rest assured, my cruising weight is 200 pounds. I like to be that way. If I take a week off from watching what I eat and working out, I put 10 pounds like that. How, how, did, you, how did you lose all the weight? Uh, just started off, because I can't do no carbs and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I just, I went, like, low calorie at first. And I'm talking, my workouts, I was only able to do, like walking at three miles an hour on a treadmill for 40 minutes. That was like the most I could handle. Now I'm like playing basketball, I'm boxing two days, but I just started a little cardio, a little weightlifting, very, very little. And just, I went to, I think I started at 1500 calories a day, which was tough. And then every, after two months of that, after every month I'd add a hundred calories. So by the end of like six, seven months, I'm, 2000 which they say a guy my size that's like enough to maintain and still lose a little here or there now i i'm kind of on autopilot which is nice but it's hard too because they got the craft services table with all the shit food on it like it's like that in the wwe too the catering like i i'm a huge uh fan of cherry pie and cookies and i don't have them in my house but you go to work and they're all there. How are you supposed to not eat some? Let me let me back up what you're saying. While we were promoting the Entourage movie, we hosted Raw. I know. I, well, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. the food was yeah. freaking unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And we were sitting there for like three hours. We got there at four o'clock yeah. for like rehearsal. And obviously, you know, the show doesn't start till nine eight o'clock or, or nine, eight o'clock. Yeah, depending where you are. So we're just sitting around and we basically were just eating for three hours <laughs> while we were sitting in like the <laughs> locker room of the NASA Coliseum. That's what you do if you have the night off, which is not a good thing. It's like, would you, who are you working tonight? Catering. <laughs> yeah, I'm in catering. I got catering duty tonight. Yeah. How was that to host Raw? Are you, are you a WWE fan? Oh, I, you know, I always went, obviously when I was a kid, I was a huge fan. And then, like I said, I basically hid my first couple of years out here. I didn't know anyone and I wasn't even 21 yet. Did so you go out here by yourself? By myself. Like you're going to go find your fame and fortune and LA's the place to be. I had one friend who uh, we ended up becoming roommates and, um, all I would do, dude, because this also timed out around the time when a very popular wrestling game came out for Nintendo 64, which I'm sure people probably have brought up to you at some point. And I'm talking, I want years where I just would sit home and drink and swim and do and sm- and hang and just play that game was and it Raw watch versus Raw versus SmackDown. 100. percent But is that what the yes. game was? Okay. Yes. Gotcha. And um, like to the point, I had to stop watching because I wouldn't leave the house. 
<laughs> so I since had taken years off, and then I go back in for a year, and then I, I come out for a year. But yes, uh, during your run was also during my run of watching. So, okay, uh, that's why I was texting you like a big fan of yours. Because oh, cool! I was, yeah, right. I was and, watching you for years, which is always cool when you meet someone with mutual respect. Yeah. like I said, I've seen every entourage. You know, big fan of the show, and it's it, you never know who's watching your work, but it's right. it's cool when you hear that. 100% man like I, I still don't believe because Entourage is very popular in sports for some reason like basketball players football players baseball players I don't know if it's because they wanted to be actors yeah. at some point and all actors want to be athletes or <laughs> yeah. just you're on the road so much same you, type of vibe you know, with your gang right. you know living the high life right sports guys can, with an infrastructure can understand that of right boys from when you were like childhood friends yeah so but yeah, I still can't believe it to see like like Kevin Durant comes up to me or Derek Jeter is like, "Hey man, love this shit." It's like, "No, man, you don't get to say that." Like, <laughs> I love what you do. Cuz you're a real huge sports oh, fan. Huge. That's yeah. that's my life, man. So when you hosted Raw, what was your vibe of that? Like what were some of the differences or what were some of the things that you noticed? First of all, I always knew cuz also being working in television, like I when I got a little bit older and I would watch, I realized you know, this is such a major production, mm -hmm. raw and, right. and everything like that. So, um, but I still underestimated it because when I got there, it was even bigger than I thought. Just the moving parts, like, and talking to a lot of the guys there, just like, yeah, it's just basically a big giant traveling. It's the biggest traveling circus in yeah. the world. Yeah. And and really getting to to see just the behind the curtain of that was it just made it even cooler to me and was and. I respected even more like the two minutes when I was backstage before we went out and introduced, uh, you know, our, our guy. Was it Zack Ryder? Zack Ryder, yeah, <laughs> from Long Island, which yeah. also Kevin Connolly was from Long Island, so it was a big... And you guys were in Nassau Coliseum in, in Nassau Long Coliseum Island. for like the last big event. Right. There. We closed the Coliseum. Before it closes down, yeah. I mean, I honestly, it, it was slow motion. And I started getting dizzy. I started getting lightheaded. I'm like, wow, this is Because it's, it's live, live too. And, you know, when you're doing Entourage or acting, you get five takes, six takes. Let's do it this way. Let's try it this way. And then, you know, Vince is back there behind the monitor, like directing shot for shot, like doesn't talk to anyone. I, just, I, I really had an out-of-body experience. <laughs> and then... Of course, we got booed, but then everyone had to explain, look, what you don't want is silence. Mm. If they're either going to cheer you or boo you, that's good. It's when you go out there and you hear nothing, that means they just don't know who the heck you are. Right. So, either, Did they tell you you're going to get booed? 100%. Yeah. Anytime celebrities come on for whatever reason. Unless you're known as an adamant supporter. Right, or unless, like we used to have guest hosts every week on Raw, like right. Saturday Night Live. Jeremy actually came right. and did it one yes, time. Yes, I remember His that. famous line where he said, uh, the pay-per-view. Summerfest. <laughs> We killed him for that. Did you really? We had a line in our episode where we brought that. <laughs> summer uh, oh, you brought it back? Summer fest. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So, so we had all of the guys, and everyone just got lambasted, booed, booed, booed. The guys who didn't get booed, there was three of them. One, Mike Tyson. Of obviously, because he's, he's Iron Mike. Absolutely. Two, Ozzy. Everybody loves Ozzy. Like, just, it's Ozzy. And the other one, who I thought was going to get murdered in Chicago, which is one of the craziest cities, Bob Barker. He came out there, and people went nuts for him. I don't know why. Wow, that's a bit of. I would have predicted a booing. I was thinking they're going to kill him, but he came out there with fifty years of show business experience, man. Come on down. Yeah, with his little thin microphone. Did he have the? Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is he had brilliant. That's brilliant. of his hand right off the bat, and I was like, of course he would. He knows he's been doing this for fifty years. He's Bob Barker. Those were the three that just kind of superseded everything. Everyone else, boo, 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 boo. Because wrestling fans, for whatever reason. 
even though you're a fan, yeah. or an outsider coming into the world of right. WWE, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm not like known publicly as a fan. Like, there's this other actor. Uh, his name is Stephen Amell. He's on the show sure, Arrow. Who yeah. is always tweeting about wrestling. And... Yeah, he actually worked at SummerSlam. Right. Right. He just happened to be at the event at that night's Raw, mm. but just as a as a as a fan, as a, like he wasn't hosting like we were. But once the fans knew Stephen Amell was there, but we were hosting, they flip that. That's what also fired them up. Like, why are these idiots hosting? We have a real life fan right here. He should be hosting. You guys suck. And uh, at first, I was a little. I, I think I even mentioned it maybe to. I think I said it to uh, Stephanie McMahon, and she's like, "No, if they boo you, it's great. Don't worry." Yeah. But I was like, "I don't know if I could handle this." She's like, "Shut up, you can handle it." <laughs> How does it feel though? Because it happens quite often when people come out and get booed, and they're like, "Usually, people are cheering for us." You know, we we're Emmy nominees. You know, we when we pre-taped the limo shot of us getting out of the limo, and then you know we had so much time in between. We were watching it in the locker room, and then you could literally hear like you're watching the feed. We so we see us getting out of the limo. There's obviously the little delay, so we hear them booing out there. <laughs> just as like on TV then we hear them booing on TV it's like oh my god we're gonna get killed out there we're gonna get destroyed so you went out there and you introduced Ryder and did you have like a little bit of a promo as we say did you talk for a bit or was it just hey how you doing we, here's Ryder no we taught like we basically came out this was a during when like Cena was basically taping taking like open matches like mm -hmm. anyone who wants to challenge me I'll put the belt up so uh and I think Kevin Connolly may have helped get Ryder his shot because he was a, a Long Island guy. This was a home game for him. Right. So we introed Ryder. We walked him down. We sat ringside. And then at one point, they were like, look, who wants to come in and maybe take a bump? I wanted to do it so bad. Like everything in my soul was like I wanted. And Kevin Dillon just answered first. He's like, I'll do it. So halfway through the match, Dylan rolls in, like interrupts Cena. Cena goes at him. Ryder rolls him up, but doesn't get the pin, obviously. And Dylan rolls out. So that was like the extent of our. Okay, that was the involvement, the interference during the match. Yeah. Yes, and then uh, I got to talk trash to Stephanie a little bit. From Ronda Rousey was on, obviously at WrestleMania, That's I believe right. it was on Barter. So I got yeah. to bring that up because Ronda was in the entourage. It was in the movie, movie yeah, so. and with you, it was awesome. If man. you could last three minutes with right. her or whatever, you'd go on a date with. It her. was an. <laughs> awesome experience and they sent us a picture of us in the ring and stuff and it, I, it took me about 30 seconds to hang that thing up that's so cool yeah how'd that come about just through your publicist yeah or? you know <clears throat> that i've never really been a part of a promo tour like that like i've done some movies where we do like a week of a junket and we go to new york i mean but entourage promotions was just like i have Crazy, never right? see i mean we we were in like a different city every day hmm. and that's just something i've never experienced in my career ever it actually made me kind of want to go back into television because i don't know if i want to do not that i don't want to like I'm, I'm being spoiled or anything like that was more work than anything life on the road is not easy I, and i'm not that I'm, I'm not a good traveler i don't fly well <laughs> when i get out of my routine i become i, I really just become a maniac like I, I don't know i'd love to know how you handle like you just get used to it when you do it you for so long used to it you know and it's hard too you're talking about your diet you know yeah stay you know you have to learn a completely different uh, way of eating even you know when you're traveling on a highway and all that's open is a you know burger king or a gas station all right let's go to the gas station what do they got hard-boiled eggs okay are they the good ones or are they the shitty ones that are already pre-wrapped right with like some kind of uh, weird water yeah. in them? all right uh, carrots i can have those uh here's some almonds put some light salt on it because it's driving me nuts just to eat shitty almonds you know water whatever but i mean it becomes part of your dna 
especially for me, I've been on the road since I was 19, whether yeah. it would be, you know, even being out here, I live in Tampa, but mm-hmm. I come out to LA all the time for podcasting or to, you know, to do shows or whatever I'm doing. Then I got the band, then I got WWE when I'm working with them. You're always on the road. You really have to get used to it because it's not easy and it, and it has to become part of, 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 of your routine yeah. is that there is no routine. Like you were just saying, you know, I, I yeah, I, I started figuring out like uh like calling in advance like does the this hotel have a gym not again not because like i need to do it for my job or anything but just only because i need to feel somewhat of the same routine i had of course you know when i'm home and man i'm we we were in three different cities in one day which is brand new for me like that that's hard Uh, hopefully you're traveling on the studio jet at least there were times when we did get access to the jet because we wouldn't have been able to make it right we i think we we did something in New York. No, I'm sorry. We started in Connecticut at like ESPN, and then we did something in New York, and then we flew to Ohio to uh, the TNT broadcast of the NBA semifinals, mm-hmm. and I had to be back up in New York for the next morning, and that was where I was kind of out of it, and I thought, okay, the worst is over, and then we did the European tour, which oh, wow. was very cool, and honestly, I life-changing for me because I had not traveled to Europe much, but... um. You know, you get used to the time difference, and then of course, I got the flu when I was in London, <laughs> yeah. and the weather's different. But I, these sound it sound like I'm complaining. It really was no, just, just different. The yeah. first time for me. Is this all four of you guys? All five of you guys going together? Yeah. Wow. So, because this was a big deal, like like we were talked about Entourage. It did eight seasons, and then it ends, and then two years later or three years later, the movie comes out. That was a little bit of a of a space in between. Yeah, basically from from the time we stopped shooting to the show till when we began shooting the movie was about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And um, Did you always know there was going to be a movie? No way. Okay. We, at some point, it's kind of like a Jedi mind trick. I don't even remember who started this conversation of a movie. And obviously the Sex in the City movie was so successful. And that's why I always got mad anytime any interviews they were like well you know you guys think you could do with the sex and this no they made like 400 million it's one of the biggest movie openings in comedy of all time well once again though you got sarah jessica parker who was a movie star before she started sex in the city right yes and also i and look i'm this is not i don't have facts to back this up but i believe it's known women go see more movies than men especially 18 to 30 year old men like me, you, and like five other dudes aren't going to go watch a movie. Right. I'm not saying, just because it just doesn't really happen, but mm. five, six, seven women at a time will go into dinner and go in to watch that Sex in the Especially City movie. when it's like a chick flick about right. a chick show. Right. Basically, a girl's show. And they had a bigger audience than mm. we ever had, and we knew that. That's why we always had our numbers in our mind of what we'd like to hit while all this hype was built up. Sex in the City for for men. It, it was never that. But for an HBO show like Entourage was a huge a huge show on HBO. What kind of ratings was it doing for an episode? Uh, I think in our final season, like our average was three or four million okay, so, yeah. a live show, which is great. And then, you know, we were they couldn't track DVR numbers back then yet. But to give you an example, like and Sex in the City's fi- final year, they were like 11 million. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were okay. they were a that's, giant. That's a juggernaut, right? So we were oh like that was making us all very paranoid. Like, wow, so if we don't make three hundred million dollars, we're a failure <laughs> because we we're gonna fail. Yeah, uh, and um, you know, I guess you could say numbers wise, it certainly was like a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's oh, two as far as the final. Girls. Yeah, like there's two sides of the story, like. 
those three or four million viewers per show that we knew we had showed up. Mm-hmm. They all showed up. It was the people maybe who casually watched from afar, like they saw some, and they didn't necessarily show up. But then, you know, we're already number one on iTunes, and everyone's it's watching in hotels yeah. and See, stuff I, like I that. I never saw it in the theater. Right. I wanted to go, but you know how things go with business, whatever, whatever. And also knowing the back of my head, I'll just watch it when it comes out on video on demand. Right. You're going to be I in did. a hotel at some point. Exactly. Right. Right. So I think it was two weeks ago, and I watched it in Toronto, as a matter right. of fact, on video on demand. Right. And I thought it was great. It was So I think that's uh, this day and age how things are judged as far as that old school mentality of what's the first week's gross? What's the first live uh, rating? It's more about what, let's look at it a year down the line and see how it did with video on demand and DVRs and replays and all this other stuff. Yeah, and it was a big learning lesson for me too because you know, I'm not that, I'm, I'm, I'm big into social media in a sense where like I enjoy it for what I think are good purposes, but um you know, the negative side of it, you know, and I, but it actually was a great lesson for me because, you know, it was weird. The critics were really harsh to the Entourage movie, but the fans were unbelievable. Like Rotten Tomatoes, you familiar with Rotten Tomatoes? Like our critic review was like 36%, which Mm -hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes is like all time low, Mm -hmm. but our fan review was like 99%. And our cinema score, which is like, they call it like the, the, um, like the exit polls. When people leave the theater, they poll people a minus like so you can't buy that score your fans were happy with the movie right? right but i also learned like if you're writing a story i think the headline that people would read more was like the entourage movie sucks and here's why as opposed to the entourage movie's pretty cool for the fans and here's why mm-hmm. in the click universe that we live in i think that headline is what's going to get the most clicks the most and, hits right yeah. yeah i just learned that unfortunately negativity in social media still kind of sells more than positivity only in the sense of movies and tv well and that's but that's kind of the vibe of social media is that everybody wants to uh c- comment right and and what's the fun in saying i love this right it's a lot easier to say i hate this this sucks this is terrible right. this is the shits you know what i mean and that's kind of the vibe of what social media is so if you're gonna wade in those waters you got to know that you're going to deal with that and don't let it piss you off. I mean, there was you, you there know? was some jokes that even I was like, wow, that's a good one. Oh. Wow. <laughs> we were like actually what? screenshotting Entourage jokes, sending them back and forth to each other. Like, guys, I got to say, this hurts my feelings, but this is also a damn good joke. Was, was there one you remember? Oh, man. God. Just like bad reviews it'll come to yeah it'll come to me at some at some point oh, what was the difference let me ask you this then while you're thinking you know you had a very rare thing it's a tv show that's turned into a movie with the same cast same production same dire- uh, director and everything yeah what were the differences how was that going from a, from the television show to the movie uh you know in a weird way it was it was better in a sense because like when you're doing the show and and you know this too you've been on crazy schedules like we would only have six or seven days for an episode you're shooting three or four episodes at a time like you know where the season's starting you never know where it's ending because you're getting scripts but like see whereas with a movie here's the whole story here's the beginning here's the middle here's the end so on an acting front it was cool because you could do some things in the scene that says at the beginning because you know also I know it's going to this place. Ah, okay. Whereas with the show, you're shooting episode three, you have no idea what episode nine is. Oh, so I see. as an actor, that's that's kind of it's uh, hard cool. to paint a picture right. when you don't know what you're supposed to be painting. Right. right? Yeah. And and um, you know, I could talk about the the differences, both negative and positive, from TV to film and all that stuff. But that was 
great as an actor. Other than that, um, you know, we had mostly the same crew. Obviously, everyone came back. And, um, it, Let me it ask you, what, what about from a financial standpoint? Is it the same type of money that you make? Or is it because it's a movie, is the, does it get bumped up? I, I guess if you... And I tried to figure out like the, the formula to equate TV to the movie. I guess... Uh, hmm. So, it certainly was better. But also, you know, like if you look at it like this, like the movie would have been like four episodes. I gotcha. Okay, I understand. Of Salar, so that. But that being said, you know, when you do TV, you get to do eight months. You you make more in one single year of TV than you do doing one movie. But we only shot the movie for six weeks. But there was a a lot of great cameos in it. Once again, you're talking about the cool factor. Everybody wanted to be in that. Who were some of your favorite people that were in that? I, I, I was a sucker for the people we had on in the show who kind of returned. Guys like, you know, Andrew Dice Clay, Bob Saget. Saget, yeah, he was you know, great on He's, on he's that, always yeah. good. We had Gary Busey popped up and <laughs> yeah. Jessica Alba. Like the people who were there in like season one and two when no one knew who the hell we were and what we were. It, mm-hmm. it was just cool. But then, you know, we had the whole front line and the LA Kings were in the scene. We had, you know, Rob Gronkowski from the Patriots. Like I'm a, obviously the sports fan in me. Gets excited for that. I mean, Warren Buffett just popped up. It, it really was like, <laughs> yeah, who's on, in on the today? Cart in the back lot or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, it was just crazy. Like a who? Like when you would see the call sheet, it's like, all right, Warren Buffett's in in the morning. Pharrell's coming in at night. It really was surreal. Because you don't even know who's in it. You're just looking and reading. You know? Because like that's the thing. Like, and that's what Doug Allen did so well. He did a lot of things well, but this I just couldn't wrap my head around. Where at the beginning of the day, you know what you're supposed to shoot. And then it's like, oh, hey, uh, John Favreau would love to come on and do something. Could he, how do you work him in? And he'd, always, he'd have to sit down at 6 in the morning and figure out a way for John Favreau to do a scene at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Where right. it's not like, here's John Favreau. Yeah. It's more like, let's weave him into the fabric of the movie. And he did that better. I mean, I don't know how the hell he did Because everyone that. wants a line of course. Know, or something. I, I just did Sharknado. And it's like, same thing. I was only on yeah. set for three days. But you look at the call sheet. It's like, oh, Bo Derek. Right. David Hasselhoff and you know Michael uh, Michael Bolton, and, and they're said, not what? showing up to stand there. That's the thing, right? Like right. you're not just going to go and like you know bump into him as he's got a you know a, a taste, right. tasty freeze at the at the Universal. Oh, my! The best one was probably if you remember the sequence um, where we had like the party scene where we we're going to screen the movie. Yes, and um, so we had all that nighttime stuff, and we were shooting the daytime stuff, and then we got a call saying, "Oh, Mike Tyson's in town. He'd love to come by." <laughs> right. And again, it's like, what do we, and, oh, and he has like his daughter with him. It's like, okay, all right, let's figure out how we can, we're, okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we worked him kind of in and it, it totally worked. Cause yeah, cause I remember like on the old Cosby show, there'd be like a knock on the door. Like, right. Oh my goodness. It's Stevie wonder. What are you doing hey, here? Hey, why are you here? <laughs> my car broke down. Or right. whatever, you, know? <laughs> right. you actually have to add it in there and make it sense. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Talk is talk. Talk is Jericho. So we're talking with Jerry Ferrara about the Entourage movie. Right to the point, man. How was it working with Ronda Rousey? Amazing, man. Yeah. I had like, and. It was weird how it happened because the storyline was already there. Um, and this is also something Doug had to do where he would write something with a cameo in mind, but you don't always get Hoping that Hoping to person, get that person, right? yeah. And I want to even say maybe initially 
and I might be wrong about this. It might have been initially for like Rihanna or something like that. Someone where it's like, are we really going to be able to get Rihanna? Mm-hmm. Shoot, shoot for the top, right? And then go for. And there. obviously, the answer was no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then it become. Then you start to get to a point where it's like, all right, well, if we can't find anyone, we'll maybe just have to write it out. And that kind of was like my whole storyline in the movie. And um, randomly. Thankfully, I have the same agent as Rhonda, uh, Brad Slater at WME. And, you know, this is now two years ago. So Rhonda was obviously well known, but what she's done in the last two years, I mean, she's gone to the she's next level. Massive, yeah. So Brad kept saying, like, you know, what about Rhonda for the cameo? And I immediately was like, that's cool as shit. That, to me, that's like a, a great move for Turtle, it makes him cooler initially. And, yeah. um, Obviously, I love the physical angle of dating a girl that could absolutely whoop my ass. Yeah. And um, Doug knew who she was, but wasn't just wanted to meet her. So we had a breakfast meeting with her, and we're blown away. And are you there too? I was there. Doug was there. Brad was there. Rhonda was there. Okay. Um, and he went home immediately. He was like done. The studio signed off. He wrote that in, and then we kind of came up. He came up. We worked on the stuff where I get in. You know, the Akhenaten tell him, like, dude, she has the most famous armbar in the world. So yeah. if you don't do that, you're really kind of doing a disservice yeah, yeah, to yeah. everyone. <laughs> and um, honestly, Chris, she's just not only is she an unbelievable athlete, you know, I got we hung out before and I got to know her and she's just she's just a great person, man. It's all legit that what you see is what you get. It is not an act. She's not playing up for you know her brand so to speak it just so happens that her brand reflects who she is mm-hmm. and it's totally legit and uh i i like now seeing what she's gonna like i'm kind of like adrian in rocky like i watch her fights i'm in the crowd like just crying and screaming like <laughs> I, I feel like adrian in rocky it's reverse rocky i said uh, i was doing a, a some promotion a few months ago or weeks ago whatever it all blends together. But I mentioned that I think Ronda Rousey's done more for, you know, the empowerment of women than Hillary Clinton. I said Hillary Clinton could get into the presidency. 50% of the country will still hate her. Ronda is kicking everyone's ass, starring in movies, doing all this great stuff, and 99% of the country likes her. Right. You know, she, she has done more. She just won't be denied. Like, her biggest obstacle is going to be, is there anyone who could give her a real fight? That's going to be her biggest obstacle in terms of fighting. Are you a UFC fan? I am. And a lot yeah. of it has been through her. Like, I always watched but i i mean boxing for me was the f- first sport i ever watched like i watch every single boxing match that's on television hmm. and i i had a moment of snobbery I, I never really like outwardly speaking down on mma or ufc but like oh but I, I just like boxing better but i couldn't stay away from ufc and from mma and then obviously getting to know ronda and some other fighters and then also i've had the chance to train a little bit with the Gracies right here in Beverly mm-hmm. Hills. You know, I, I just got a whole new appreciation Which for Which Gracies did you work with? Uh, for Heron. Heron, okay. My man Hero, who's just, uh, keep it friendly. Yeah. Let's keep it friendly, <laughs> yeah, until you, you hurt me. Right. Um, and now I just have a whole... What do you respect. think uh, the, the, the issues are with boxing nowadays? Because, I mean, it's obvious. I'm, I'm not a uh, major boxing fan, but I definitely am a fan. Right. And it's obvious that it's gone downhill over the last 10, 15 sure, years. Yeah, sure I have has. theories, but what, what do you think? My biggest theory is that the best don't fight each other. Do That's my main. Uh, to me, when you have a young guy, let's say, who now is starting to enter his prime, say he's 25 and 0 with 18 knockouts, and it's like, okay, this guy's the next. 
they still will hand kind of slowly roll his fights in. And if he loses, that's it. He's got to start all over again. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the UFC and in MMA, if you lose, as long as you fought hard oh, and I put see. on a good show, like that loss is like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Whereas in boxing, if you lose a 12-round decision and it's not the greatest fight in the world, you're now 25-1, and one, you, you're not getting the title. So you got to go all the way back to the beginning. And while I do respect that, you know, I think it makes everyone super safe in who they fight because they want to like, uh, you know, I got to have the best chances of winning because I got to get to 26. No, because if I want to fight Floyd and get paid, I have to be undefeated. Right. And whereas in the UFC, you could still get that big fight and you could be 15 and five. And as long as you fought hard, you could still get that big fight. I think one of the issues for me is that there's no big heavyweights as far as uh, popular. That too. Uh, charismatic because we had such a run through the 70s 80s and 90s i mean it was it was a you know a, a domino effect one yeah. led to the other tyson leads to you know then you had the sphinx era but sphinx the sphinx era the egyptian fighter right. maybe you've heard of him <laughs> but you know sphinx and then you had you know larry holmes and then you had lennox Foreman, lewis and, lennox lewis, and yeah. then of course uh holyfield and then but then we kind of just hit a dead end there where there's not the the if it, it, not an Ali or Tyson level guy, even on the horizon. Yeah, and you want to know why? Is why? because Muhammad Ali is playing tight end. You know, Mike you Tyson is playing fullback. Meaning, if you're that size and that physically gifted oh, to be I a heavyweight, see. you're playing football most I gotcha. likely, or maybe going into MMA, or maybe going into MMA. Right. Like honestly, like you're for, if you're six four two thirty five with amazing footwork and hand speed. Someone is catching you in high school and saying, hey, you got to come try out for the football team. Like, I feel like boxing has become harder Mm. to discover for a lot of young athletes, especially of that size in the heavyweight division. Because, you know, I'm I'm 5'7". If I would have been 5'7", 150 growing up in great shape and talented, the odds of me really becoming a pro in any sport is slim to none. Boxing, I have my own weight class. Yeah. And I just think if you're that size and in America, you're playing football most likely. What do you think of Floyd? Well, you know, there was some news today. I don't know if you heard I that he, he, and it's all hashing out. So I'm kind of just spreading the gossip mill, but it was on like sports center that he, before the Pacquiao fight, he got an intravenous of like uh, water and vitamins to rehydrate, which what he took wasn't illegal, but you're not allowed to intravenously take anything oh. before a fight. And there was that whole speculation, too, not speculation, Pacquiao before the fight was trying to get a cortisone shot mm-hmm. in his shoulder, which is legal, but you have to apply for it before, way before the fight, and he didn't do that. So they said, you can't mm. take anything intravenously, and Floyd did, though. Wow. So that just came out. I don't know how that's going to shake out or if even that report is true, but that was the gossip mill today. Um, I have a lot of respect for Floyd Mayweather as a fighter. I do think that he has a style that is one of the best styles we'll ever see. It's not the most crowd-pleasing, for right. sure. It's not the most exciting. It's not the most exciting. And and look, he's smart. He maybe knew that and became the ultimate villain. People, I, I'm convinced, buy his pay-per-views to watch to see if he loses. Yeah. That's all that's left. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that he and I did Larry King a few years ago. Is that right? Yeah, uh, when he he had a great episode. By was, the way, yeah, I, I was, was I, I got to find out. He was actually uh, he was actually doing WrestleMania. He worked a, a match against Big Show. Yes, that's right. And so we were all on promoting it, and I always got along with Floyd. I, I ran into him oh, five six times, and yeah. good guy. 
But we were talking and he said just that. He said, listen, man. He said, I love wrestling. He said, I understand what I'm doing here. I want people to hate me, to buy the pay-per-views, to see me get beat. Then he went into Florida. No one's going to beat me. Right. No one can beat me. Right. But they're still paying to see me lose. And I'm cool with that because I understand that's my job. So you're right. I mean, he is totally working that way. But also, I don't know with the style that he has. Plus, with the reputation and momentum, I don't think any judge is ever going to – I don't think they're going to vote him to lose a fight. You, I mean, you, you have know, to put him down. To knock his ass out. Yeah, or at least knock him down a bunch Something of times. Something like that, right. I mean, I, I talk about it with my friends all the time. I could count three times that I saw him cleanly hit. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I think Zab Judah did it years ago, and then he dominated. Shane Mosley did it for sure. Yeah. Rocked him. I was at that fight. And, Ma- and Maidana did it two years ago. There's only three times. He's fought 48 times. Point. He's been hit cleanly. Yeah. I'm talking like, oh, where well, you jumped up and thought maybe he was hurt? Three yeah. times. He's too, he's too weaselly. Too wiry. You know, I he I did a movie called uh, Think Like a Man, and then we did a sequel for it, Think Like a Man 2 in Vegas, and Floyd did a cameo. And then sure enough, like you meet him, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Like you almost feel like, okay, he certainly knows exactly what he's doing with a bit of a character he maybe created. But out of nowhere, he just starts shadow boxing while we're waiting for the next shot. And he's like, at the time, I think he was 46 and 0. He's like, <laughs> man, 46 have tried, 46 have failed. Yeah. No one could unlock the Da Vinci Code. And it, like, he believes it. Just in his own mind in the back room. No one just asked him to do th- that. Yeah, right, he was right, standing right, 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 around, 70 yeah. person crew, he's <laughs> off to the side doing that. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. So, uh, you mentioned doing doing the, the other movies that you did. Is, is, is this the end of Entourage? Is, is the story been told now or? Yes, yeah. the story has been told. Um, I think we all deep down kind of knew it was the end. I mean, if there was some financial craziness that went on, if it did sex in the city numbers, like we would all be ludicrous to not do a sequel. Mm-hmm. It didn't do that. And that's why we kind of shot the movie with the intention of there's a lot of closure there. Right. You know, like there's no open ended. Well, what's going to happen now? Like yeah. you could go on and know that those guys are going to be all right. And it kind of ended. So, uh, yeah, unless there was some. Is it hard to uh, to say goodbye to, to the character after 10 years of being Turtle? Mm, no, honestly, because I really felt like shooting the movie was that for me. Because uh, the hard part, the emotional part of saying goodbye happened at the end of the show. For me, like when gotcha. they when they called rap on that fine, the very last thing we ever shot, the show ended with um, three of the four guys getting on one jet, and then right. the Eric character with Sloan getting on another, and they're just heading separate directions. Mm-hmm. The last thing we shot was us rolling up to the tarmac in the old Lincoln. That was our last shot ever. So when they called rap, I mean, I had to walk away. Because I cried. I'm sure everybody felt the same. All the other guys. Yeah, but believe it or not, I don't know. Connelly and Dylan, I, I walked away by myself oh, and I really? cried. They, I know they were for sure emotional and handled it their own way, but I guess I'm maybe, I'm, I don't know, I'm more of the we're emotional sensitive, <laughs> sensitive guy. We're all sensitive in our own ways, though. Yeah. But for me, very much like that was the goodbye. Because also I had the fear of not knowing what was next. Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to work again? Is this like, how hard is it going to be to punch my way out of this box I'm in? Because it is, it is hard out here. You mentioned earlier, you know, when you got the, the King of Queens or whatever. Acting, it's hard because you don't know. when you, And you had one of the most enviable things, a, a, a steady gig yeah. for years and years and years. Yeah. And once it's over, 
you got to start man. from scratch again or how does it work? Yeah. Well, look, like I said, we had that luxury of knowing when we were ending and I was already on like the fitness train. So that helped because perception is reality. It's unfortunate. It sucks. But what people see is what they believe. And all they saw of me was the stoner sidekick. So that's what they thought I was. Right. And a lot of, and, and it, the same goes for the movie business. Like I'm auditioning for these movies and they were like, oh, I, you know how many times I've gotten this is the reason why they can't cast me. And it's very frustrating. Uh, but it's, and it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's just ironic. They say like, uh, you know, he, oh, we, he's too well known. Uh, right. We overqualified. We, we feel like it's going to take the audience out of the movie if they see the entourage guy pop yeah. up. Like they're automatically going to start thinking about entourage and it'll take them out of the movie. Well, I guess on the surface, I could make some sense of that. But then my, I, I start getting competitive. I'm like, well, if you don't direct a shitty movie, yeah. Nothing will take people out of it because you know what? I've seen movies that are great with cameos or people who are known who fit right in and it didn't take me out because the movie was good. I've seen bad movies where I'm jammed with sure. a big known person and it's taken me out a little bit because the movie was bad. Mm -hmm. And um, I started from the beginning. I didn't have a movie career. I really didn't. I, at that point, I had not been in any movies. So I, I was doing two scenes here in Battleship, three scenes in Lone Survivor. And, and then I got a good part in Think Like a Man. And, and then I started to build this momentum only to lead me back to the Entourage movie, <laughs> which then made me have to start sort of back over again. But luckily... I've kind of already punched myself out. I'm on another TV show. Which show is that? Um, a show called Power, mm -hmm. which is on uh, Stars Network. Okay, um, cool. I was on season two. I start season three in like a month. And uh, I'm actually signed on till season four. And uh, I'm going to do a couple of weeks on Clint Eastwood's next movie, which wow. is about um, Sully, the pilot who landed the plane in the Hudson River. And everyone survived. I... Um and first of all, working for Clint Eastwood is, is an actor's dream. Dream. From what I've heard, because it's one or two takes and you're done. And he he's off curling cinder blocks somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I had an audition once. And I, I, I'm not good at auditions. I, I don't like them. They all suck. They all the suck. They're and horrible. I said, you know, unless it's Steven Spielberg calling, right. I'm not going for an audition. And lo and behold, I got an audition uh, from Eastwood for uh, an American Sniper. Oh. <sighs> You did good in Sniper, well, man. Yeah, man. But I was like, all right, I'll go. And, and I was like, why is this happening? For some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why. And you know how this town is. Don't ask. For some reason, I got in Clint Eastwood's box and he's like, Clint wants to see you. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I go in for this audition and it's for the drill sergeant that sprays the yep. water on Bradley Cooper. And in the back of the room, there he is, Clint Eastwood. God. Do your scene. Do it this way. Do it that way. Thank you very much. And leave. Didn't get the part. It went to a, an African-American cat. So maybe they're looking for a black guy, which is fine. But you're right. Once you're in that circle, you're in. Because I auditioned for, I think I might have auditioned for American Sniper as well. For the maybe role. for the drill sergeant. No, no, no. For um, <laughs> It was someone, it was the character who Bradley Cooper kind of saved and then sees years later. Okay, yeah, yeah. With yeah. the prosthetic leg. Yes. One yes, scene. Yes, yes. Uh, didn't get it. But then I got brought in for Jersey Boys and I had to sing, which I'm not a singer. So I had to sing. That would have been uh, good. That's a good part for you. And they were kind of yeah. figuring out, should they, are they going to use like the Broadway Jersey Boy guys are going to cast actors and fake the singing? Didn't get that. What did they end up doing with that? With I the, think they went with the, the actual. The Broadway guys, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I, I basically go in for a small part in every Clint Eastwood movie. And it just so happened this one finally. And you got he was it. like, yeah, yeah, this guy is fine. <laughs> cast him, you know? That's going to be. But you're right. You'll go in. I mean, he's going to bring you in for 
And that was, yeah, just You're one in. of those things where, okay, like whatever it takes, just that's Clint that's likes cool. you. He likes your face. <laughs> yeah, he likes your face. <laughs> and, but another thing you do, too, is you got a podcast. Yes. Bad, bad for business. And I was doing uh, some research, as you can see in my list of questions, which is a <laughs> blank piece of paper. But I actually looked it up, and I was looking through the episodes and your show is a lot like mine. It's very diverse. You yes. got a lot of different topics. You bring your family members on. And there's a lot. You've been doing it for a while. Yeah, it's, it's a year and a half now. Um, the reason why, first and foremost, I've always had a love for radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports talk radio when I was a kid. Like, I didn't have a TV in my room. Like, I would go to sleep listening to sports talk radio. And then Howard Stern. And I just, I just love it. I always have and I always will. And then, I, you know, I don't have to tell you, but they podcast game now i'm not saying it's easy because it is a lot of work but you could kind of have your own show it's, and you, re- it's replacing terrestrial radio it really is yeah it is and whether you have 500 listeners 5,000 500,000 you could still have your version of an audience yeah. and um build your own audience and talk about whatever you want whatever you want and for the first time chris like you know we were talking about acting and stuff i have zero control of acting right like here's your script I have to wake up tomorrow. I can't wake up tomorrow and be like, I feel like acting tomorrow. <laughs> Unless I go to some weird acting class, yeah. I have to wait around for someone to tell me it's okay for me to do what I love, which I respect because I've earned that right. Uh, but also, I still have to go fight this form of podcasting. If I have something I want to wake up, like if I want to go talk about Floyd Mayweather and and the possibility that he took a needle for fluids, mm-hmm. I wake up tomorrow and do an hour on that, and I have a cool audience waiting to hear it. Right. And it was just nice to have that ability. It's great being in charge of everything. You know? Yeah, That's, just switch it on. Yeah. If I, you know, I love, I love wrestling, music, yeah. movies, acting, uh, you know, paranormal stuff. Right. I want to get a ghost right. hunter on. I'll damn well get one. And if you build your audience properly, they'll follow Jerry. They'll 100%. follow Chris. They're not going to worry about, oh, what's the topic today? Just put it on. We know we'll like it because we like you. Or we like, you know, and you know, like I, I obviously only knew you from wrestling years ago, you know, but through your podcast, I've learned so much more about you that I didn't know. You know what I mean? And and that's the good thing about it. Yeah. You you kind of could control your. Yes. And and build your brand, which in this day and age, you know, talking about how it works in in Hollywood and entertainment in general. Who knows when the next role could come? It could be now. You could got a you could have got a message, or it could be a month from now. But you're still producing. You're still being creative, and you're still in the public public ear. I guess you'd say. And yeah, like I I also like like I have a group of friends, and also my family who has given me so much entertainment over the years <laughs> that like now you know even. Even if I'm the only person who thinks they're funny and entertaining, we're going to test that theory. Right. I think my mom is the funniest person. And she's been on quite a bit. Like, the most than anyone. Like, literally, I just did a whole podcast with her because she was a single mom. Our, my, her husband, my father, passed away when I was five. My brother was nine. And, like, I always say I throw like a girl because my mom taught me how to throw. Straight <laughs> up. I have, I, I have the worst arm in the world. I throw like a girl. And I, I like to think I'm athletic. Right. So we talked. We did an hour on just her being a single mom. And, like, when we heard the scary noise at night, mom was the one with the bat going out to see what it was. And that's but why. See, that's cool yeah. stuff. I'd rather hear that than, you know, than going to talk to some third string actress or whatever. Right. You know? Exactly. Who, who else have you had on that you enjoyed having on? Well, we did have Rhonda on. Uh, oh, okay. We had Rhonda on right after she did Entourage. Um, you know, I've had my brother on where he talks about his going bald at 21 years old. And again, <laughs> he basically has a stand-up routine about it. He's like, you know what it's like 
to lose all your hair at a young age. It's like you literally, it's like walking outside with your zipper open and your penis out every day. You feel like people are just looking at you like, wait, is this, is that really like that? It's like Jerris Costanza, bald, exactly. bald. And he had like a thick, beautiful, he was like famous in Brooklyn for his hair. He had a different hairdo every day. Oh, the irony. Left part, right part, side, middle part. He had it all. One day I remember I just came down the stairs at my grandmother's house and I had the overhead look. And I must have been like 15. I'm like, hey, bro, why does the back of your head look like a bird's nest? And he went, what? And he ran home with eight mirrors and discovered it was gone. Bald spot. Bald spot. Yeah. So. And that's the funniest stuff. You know, I, I do the same with my cousins, my best yeah. friend. My, my kids are on all the time. People like that because it's, it's something they don't always get to hear. Yeah. And it's a lot of stuff, too, like that I just talk about at dinner with my friends. Like we one night at dinner were we were always talking gangster movies and favorite gangster lines. And we basically did like a fantasy draft of gangster characters. Like if you were starting the Jericho family. And you could use any gangster mob movie of all time. Like, who's your boss? Uh, who's your un- like? My boss was Young Vito Corleone, the De Niro. One. Okay. My underboss was Paulie from Goodfellas. Um, okay. Let me. I'm going with uh, uh, Brando. Brando, your not a bad choice. Would, so the underboss was be. Who would you say you took? Mine was Paulie from Goodfellas. Okay. I don't know if you remember him. Is that Ray Liotta? No, that's um Paul Servino, the oh, kind of okay. older guy. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. 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 One of my buddies picked uh Bill the Butcher from Gangs in New York. All like, right. And then we had like three enforcers. So where does Joe Pesci from Goodfellas go? He's in my. He's in he my could be like a soldier. Yeah, he's you in know mine for sure. Um, Joe Pesci. In Casino was one of my enforcers. If you remember Nikki Santoro, oh, yeah, so that was a whole episode. That is people's favorite episode, and that's just a dumb thing that my friends and I would talk about. That's a great idea, though. Yeah, see, that's that's the secret. If you can get like, I love having guests on, and I try and and talk just about different stuff because right. obviously we're gonna talk entourage. That's what you're yeah, for, for sure. But it's fun to talk about the other little ancillary things and keeping your your mind open as to you know what. Okay, oh, you mentioned boxing, Floyd Mayweather. Okay, let's talk about this, and then you get a little bit of extra stuff. That's the fun part about it. You I know? you know my my girlfriend who also happens to be the producer of the podcast. That's why it's what, called Bad for yeah, Business. Like I never realized how much I love to hear myself talk until she pointed it out. <laughs> I swear to God, like it was kind of her idea to do a podcast. She's like, I had done some sports talk radio, but uh, she's like, you talk so much. I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, Jerry, trust me. You do. You really, really <laughs> you do. Go put this to good use. Yeah. Like you, you have the gift of gab. Go, go do it. So this way you don't talk to me as much. Maybe <laughs> maybe someone will care. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Last question. Uh, what is your favorite episode of entourage? Is it, can you pick one? People always ask me what's your favorite match. And I have to think like, Oh, maybe oh this God. one, maybe that one. Do you know exactly how many matches do you know? your I, you know what? It's total? funny. Good question. That's a great question. Uh, uh, you, you're Mr. You're a host here. That's what I would ask you. When I was, when I was training, I asked a guy called Keith Hart, Bret Hart's brother, mm-hmm. who was sure. the trainer who showed up for one day. And I said, how many matches have you had? He said, I don't know. And I was thinking, that's weird because if I want to know how many hockey games Wayne Gretzky played, I can go it's read there. it in a book. If I want to know how many games Jerry Rice played or how many yards he rushed or whatever. So from that day, I started writing down uh, my matches. Date, wow. what number of match, who it was against, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Smart. And still have that paper from October 3rd, 1990 up until today. And I think I've had, I'm not sure the exact number because I've had a couple of matches I haven't added up yet, but it's around 2653 or something like that. My you know, God. and it makes me laugh sometimes. People go, I've had 5,000 matches. Like, no, you haven't. No, yeah. no. 
because I, if that I means was, you wrestled twice as much as I as as, as yeah, you have. exactly. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was having a guess, I'd probably say oh, I've had ten thousand matches, but I've actually written them down, and it's about twenty six hundred. Did you change. start that from the minute you were from the minute the very first night I had my first match? Came home, I'm so took glad a piece you did of paper that. and wrote that down. So I have this yellowed, orangey piece of paper that's existed for 25 years with that on it. Well, because now that's also like, because sports are all the how we measure stuff. Yes. And now we actually have something, like you said, we have something to measure yes. against. We could look at a wrestler and be like, hey, yeah. but he, there's you no know, way can, he fought 2,600 matches. I can... I can I still have to go get it printed out by his, you know, take it to a uh, secretary, whoever the hell does right. that shit, and get them to type it all in there. Because if I ever lost this, it's in a binder now. I, dude, you cry. could sell that. I would buy that. Like if you did like like as like a piece of art and did like prints of that, I would buy that and hang it I in the podcast. Do that. Dude, you I should absolutely. Do that. Should. I was gonna do it. I, I've written some books and I was gonna put it in the back as an appendix. Yeah, I run out of pages all the time, run out of room, so That's I'll have awesome. to try and do that. But what favorite entourage? Uh, episode? Well, let's see. We did ninety eight. A lot easier to count than twenty six fifty three. For me, we did an episode in season two at the Sundance Film Festival. Which, to me, is my most favorite because, number one, is the first time we left L.A. to do an episode, which kind of became our trademark after that. Every season, we go okay, somewhere. Go it was somewhere. Vegas. We went to the Cannes Film Festival, New York. Every year, there'd be a road week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first time we ever did it and um, first time I ever went to the Sundance Film Festival. So I had only heard stories about the parties and whatnot. So uh, I just have very fond memories of of that trip of like going skiing with the guys and stuff like that. And also there's a very famous part of Kevin Dillon's character. And I, we have a threesome where we cross swords. We say, <laughs> right, how yeah. many people that that's something people love to talk about when they come up to me. Like, Oh, you and John cross swords. <laughs> yeah, of course they're speaking in a New York yeah, accent. Yeah, of right. Course, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. That's like hey, my, de- that's like my default how you doing? person that always comes to talk to me. Like, hey. Right, right, right. Uh, I would have to put that one up as my number one, but I can make arguments for others. But that—that's the first one that comes to mind all the time for me. Are you a sneaker uh, fan as well, like Turtle was? I see I, you got some nice uh, Jordans. Yeah, on. I, you know I am. I used to be a tremendous sneakerhead when I was younger, and then as Entourage started, and then I kind of just got away from it, and and I wasn't until recently. I'm now back in. I'm back in the sneaker game all the way. All the way back after like a five year break. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you have to hook me up on that, man. I'm not a oh, sneaker guy. T- anytime, Craig. That's right, easy. Man. Dude, this, uh, bad for business. Jerry Ferrara. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks to Jerry Ferrara. Great hang, great guy. Came all the way to the Beverly Hills Hilton to come hang out with me. Uh, two strangers on a train, man. And what a great conversation we had. If you want to listen to more conversations that are amazing, listen to Jerry's Bad for Business podcast. You can find it on iTunes or b4bent.com. That's number, uh, wait, number? No, letter. What's the alphabet? Oh, those are letters. Thanks, Chris. Letter B, number four, B-E-N-T.com. B4bent.com. Bad for Business is the podcast. Also, check him out on his new TV show called Power on the Stars Network. Uh, check out the Entourage movie on demand. He does a great job. He's a great actor and a, a really cool guy. Thanks to Jerry. Thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, thanks for all of you for, for coming to Saudi Arabia last week. What a what a crazy trip that was. I, I should probably tell you about that maybe next week. Going international again, this time staying in North America, though. Heading over to Mexico. Uh, we're going to a little WWE Mexican tour tonight, Friday, October 16th in Merida. Tomorrow, my old stomping grounds in Mexico City. Sunday, my other oldest stomping grounds in Monterrey, Mexico. Read all about those experiences in A Lion's Tale. Uh, And after that, 
I'm done with the WWE. Y2J Fall Tour is over. And then I don't know when I'm coming back. Uh, will I return? I'm not sure. But I will be busy with the Foz as we go on the Kiss Cruise with Fozzie. Heading, uh, heading up from uh, from Miami to Jamaica with the Kiss Navy on October 30th. That is sold out. If you're going to be on the, on the cruise, get ready to rock. We're going to have a blast. But here's what's not sold out yet. Still tickets available for the Cinderblock Party in Europe. Fozzie is returning to Europe, the UK, with Nonpoint Sumo Cycle. This is going to be one of the best shows, one of the best tour packages we've ever had. If you've ever seen Fozzie in the past, you are going to love this. Go to FozzieRock.com. Check out all the dates. We start November 13th in Rotterdam. Head all throughout uh, mainland Europe. Then head over to the UK. Uh, London, November 26th at the Islington Academy. Southampton, Manchester, Birmingham. So many different gigs. No, uh, FozzieRock.com. Go check it out. Come see Fozzie. We're going to rock your socks off. I was writing some new songs this week. Rich Ward writing some new songs. We are going to do this tour. Bang out the Kiss Cruise. Go on the Cinderblock Party Tour and then it's new album time alright so much to uh, discuss for all of you sending uh, those amazing emails to talkisjericho at gmail.com uh, first up Wayne wrote in to say he's been listening to the podcast for a few months can't get enough of it wondering uh, any chance of me doing a podcast with Halloween I was just talking about that with my buddy uh, John Riot over in the US I would love to do a podcast with Halloween and uh, stay tuned for that a-, a great band that's been doing this for 30 years pioneers in their field from Germany. I would love to have uh, have them on, so I'll be working on that. Another shout-out to Anthony Adams in Seattle, a.k.a. DJA Adams, wrote in to say he still buys CDs. Wow, you're one of the few. He bought the new Slash in the Conspirators album World on Fire after listening to the Slash episodes of Talk is Jericho. He's also a Fozzie fan, spins lights go out whenever he DJs at the Emerald Downs horse race track. Uh, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for listening and thanks for being a fan. And also, uh, Lane Forrester hit me up at Talk is Jericho and uh, loves New Japan Pro Wrestling and Shinsuke Nakamura and uh, loves the show as well. So, thank you to Lane for, uh, for for digging that as well. Don't know much about Nakamura. I heard he's really, really good. Haven't wrestled him before, but uh, maybe someday. All right. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening to Talk is Jericho. Keep the questions and comments coming. Uh, and thanks to all of you for supporting my sponsors who uh, who helped me do this show for free for twice a week. Naturebox.com. Promo code Jericho. Get delicious snacks delivered to your front door. DraftKings.com. Promo code Y2J to play for free. Then there's Uber. There's TrueCar. There's Amazon. Amazon support all of those sponsors support Amazon I got links for the USA the UK the Canada A whenever you're going to buy something on Amazon first of all go to podcast1.com click on the supporter show ban, uh, sponsors banner at the top of the page then hit the talk is Jericho button not going to cost you anything extra no hidden fees or extra charges they just uh, kick back a few bucks when you spend money with them to help this show so I appreciate that and I appreciate all of you man thank you so much to Jerry Ferrara thanks so much to the Dudley boys if you haven't listened to that podcast podcast is great and don't forget the jericho 25th anniversary one of the funniest podcasts i've ever done in my life go check it out thank you so much for being here next week i want you to uh, sit back and relax i got the lead singer from extreme gary sharon is here also was the third and forgotten lead singer of van halen uh, gary's got some great eddie van halen stories david lee ross stories sammy hagar stories nuno betancourt stories he's got his new album by his new band hurt smile we talk rock and roll with one of the nicest guys uh, i've had on the show in a long time gary sharon will be here i'll see you on wednesday stay hard stay hungry peace love and hugs and a big yeah boy you can download new episodes of talk is jericho every wednesday and friday at podcast1.com That's podcastone.com.